Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be together. It's the body of Christ to worship together. thought of that especially. I was thinking of the time I was a college student and I studied in England for six months. It happened to be spring break and so I left where I was near London, went up to Scotland with a couple of friends and we ended up having some conflict. So I ended up traveling by myself. I was in Edinburgh, Scotland. It was Easter weekend. And I was totally alone. In a foreign culture, didn't know anybody, felt completely out of place, completely alone. There's few times in my life that I can think of where I felt so alone. But I think that's part of the human condition. As human beings, we, we manage to avoid that sense of isolation as much as we can. We try to gather together in groups and commit and whatever, but there is a depth of isolation and loneliness as part of the human condition ever since creation. When God created man, he said, let us make man in our image. Who's the us? The Trinity, right? Father. Son and Holy Spirit. God was a community within Himself and He said, let us make man in our image, male and female, He created them. And He created us as people who are relational people. We're only whole as human beings when we are in relationship with Him and then in proper relationship with one another as well. But sin entered the world right away, right? Remember what happened to Adam and Eve? They chose sin, and what happened? They started hiding from one another and from God. Their first two sons had conflict, and their elder son killed their younger son. Ever since then, man has been struggling to get along. Every relationship we have, we have some pretty good relationships, but every relationship we have is tainted with that sin, that selfishness, and so... There is no perfect relationship. There's, there's a brokenness to mankind. His relationships are broken and our families reflect that. Some of us came from pretty good families, some from maybe not so good families, and yet every family reflects a certain amount of that brokenness. So we're left with this longing for community, this longing for more. We're created for more. And yet there's this Sense this fear of rejection, and so we're, we, we draw close to people, but then we push away, and we have conflict, and so we're hurt, and so we swear to never be hurt again, and so we pull back, and it's this struggle we have relationally in this life, in this world. But God, <laughs> but God, throughout Ephesians, throughout the Scriptures, that's the great news, isn't it? That God knows. And God has intervened in our lives. He's in the business of restoring creation to how it originally was meant to be. And the book of Ephesians, especially his first three chapters, really chronicle that plan of his. Our banner here, beautiful banner, sit, walk, stand, summarizes the entire book of Ephesians. Sit is the first three chapters. 
We've been seated with Christ. And so these first three chapters describe what God has done for us to bring restoration to our broken lives and our broken world. Then chapters 4 through the beginning of 6 tell us how we are therefore to walk, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you've been called. And then stand, stand firm in the spiritual warfare that we face is chapter 6.10 to the end. Sit, walk, stand chronicles the entire book of Ephesians. And in our chapter, in our verse today, in our verses, in the end of chapter 2, we see how God is, first of all, the first part of the chapter, 1 through 10, Rod spent three weeks on that, chronicling how God has moved us from death to life, seated us with Christ, changed us, created a new humanity in us. In our verses today, 11 through 22, he chronicles how God has moved us from isolation to a new community. The community of the saints is something brand new that God's created that we get to be part of. That's what we'll be looking at today. It explains what we were in our isolation, what God has done, and then how we should view ourselves as this new humanity, this new creation. So let me pray and let's look at this scripture together. Lord, thank you that you have intervened in this broken world. That through your son Jesus, you are restoring mankind to yourself and to one another. May we catch a glimpse today of the glory of what you want the community of Christ to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11 and 12, he begins by saying, Therefore, remember that formerly you were. Remember, Paul begins. He says, and that particular tense of that verb in the Greek is present. It means it's a command, but it's present, which means it's continuous. Never forget what you've come from. Never forget what life apart from Christ is like because that helps us to understand the grace that we have received. Paul wants us to look back at what our life was like apart from him. Don't forget what God has saved us from. Now he's speaking here specifically to Gentiles, which is almost everybody in this room, probably. Probably not very many of you came from a Jewish background, maybe some. But he's talking specifically to Gentiles about what we've been saved from. He begins by saying, remember, you are the so-called uncircumcision. Called that by the so-called circumcision. He's talking about this division here between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, we don't understand that quite as clearly in our culture because we don't live in a culture where that's as strong. But he's talking about this massive division. You see, God began working in the Jews, right? When he began the restoration of mankind, he said, I am going to work through Abraham and his descendants. And God said, these are going to be my people as I prepare the way for Messiah to come. But what did that mean for everyone else? We were not his people. All the Gentiles were excluded, were left out, didn't get to be part of, of any of the covenants or anything that God had established. So there was this 
separation, this complete separation that meant we were excluded and left out. We had no access to God, to the temple, to worship of Him. Now in the Old Testament, there's a few Gentiles who get included into the nation of Israel, but by and large, everyone is excluded, left out. Maybe you know that feeling. (laughs) Think back in junior high or high school, those horrible days (laughs) when there were groups and if you weren't one of the cool ones, if you weren't one of the ones who was a good athlete or whatever, or the best looking, or you got excluded and you were left out. That's what he's describing here, being left out, not part of the in-group. And it's funny how he describes it here. He says the Jews called you named. You're the uncircumcision. Well, we're pretty good at that, calling names, right? Excluding other people. Oh, yeah, you're one of those. You're not one of the cool ones like us. And we like to do that, even as adults, especially as kids, but as adults even. We like to label people so that we separate ourselves from them. This separation was complete. Let me describe a little bit how this separation appeared um, to the Jews of the day and the Gentiles. This is William Barclay, commentator, writing, The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loved only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. So maybe that gives you a sense of the complete division. Every day an Orthodox Jew has prayed for centuries and still prays today. Every day, thank God I am not a Gentile. So in this division of the Jews being God's chosen people and everyone else left out, Paul says, don't forget. That is you. You were left out. You were excluded. He describes five ways we were excluded. Separate from Christ. Separate from the Messiah. Messiah came to the Jews initially. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Excluded from the nation of Israel as God's chosen people. Strangers to the covenants of promise. God had made covenants with Abraham, with Moses, with David, saying, this is how my people are to walk with me. This is how I have a relationship with you, my Jewish people. And Gentiles did not receive those covenants. None of us did at the time. Strangers to the covenants, having no hope, no hope of being united with God, and without God in the world. It's a dark picture of isolation from God, from God's people, and unable to do anything about it. No hope. 
Think about this conflict he's describing here. He's talking about conflict between Jews and Gentiles. Think about how that conflict continues today. How the Jews can never seem to get along with the Gentiles throughout history. Because they see themselves as God's chosen people and everyone else is excluded. And that was the setup until Christ came. And we need to remember what we came from. Left out, alone in the world, isolated from one another, like me when I was a student in Scotland, alone. Or like an orphan looking at a family saying, wow, I wish I had a family. I wish I could be included. That's the state of not just Jews, Gentiles, but that's the state of every human being apart from Christ. Isolated, alone, wanting relationship, but unable to really have what God designed. So Paul says, remember. Remember what you've come from. But he goes on to say, ah, but. (laughs) But. Verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, God acted. God stepped into the world. God changed things. God made it possible for us to enter in to the very community of God, to be part of it. Think for a minute about how mankind tries to break down those divisions between us. Think about the divisions between the Jews and Gentiles, or think about the divisions between the West and Islam, or divisions in your own family. Man's primary way of trying to deal with divisions like that is education, understanding. I watched a documentary, very interesting documentary, of Jewish and Palestinian children, and they decided, here's how we can bring peace. And so they brought these Jewish and Palestinian children together, a number of them, And they spent time together getting to know each other. And they were really suspicious of each other. They'd heard so much about how bad the other people were. And they got together and they played some games together and talked some. And they realized these people aren't so bad after all. Well, that's kind of the human way to bring about peace. So maybe if we just got the leaders of the Palestinians and the Jews together and they played some games together, maybe that would work. You know, we have more education more understanding than we ever have in history, have had in history. And over the last hundred years, we have had more wars, more conflicts, more battles, more division than any other time in history. Man's way doesn't work. It can't bring reconciliation. How can we bring peace? How can we fix the brokenness? Only by God's acting. But God... Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. (laughs) Hallelujah. For he himself is our peace, our shalom, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Only he could act to bring down the divisions of the dividing wall break down the separation between Jew and Gentile and between all humanity, ultimately. 
Now, I think Paul has in mind here the actual wall in the temple. Now, the original temple, Solomon's temple, did not have all these dividing walls, but the temple in Jesus' day, the second temple, Herod's temple, had a number of dividing walls. There was first the inner court. Only the priests could go there. That was the court where they did sacrifices. Then they had the next court, separated by a wall, and only Jewish men could go there. Then behind the next wall was another courtyard, and that was the court of women. Women could get that close to the temple. That was all on one level, and then you would drop down several steps, and there was another wall that was about four, four and a half feet tall, and behind that was the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles couldn't even be on the same level as the Jewish people. They were on a lower level, and in this, behind this wall, they could not move beyond. In fact, we have found plaques from that wall, from the destruction of the temple. We have found plaques that say, essentially, if any Gentile, any foreigner goes past this wall, your life is in your own hands. You will be executed. Now, Paul knew very well about this wall because that's how he got arrested. He's now, as he's writing these words in the book of Ephesians, he is in prison in Rome. And remember in the book of Acts how he got arrested? What they accused him of? They accused him of taking a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. He didn't do that. But that's what they accused him of, arrested him of. He ended up in prison in Rome as he's writing these letters. So he knows very well about this dividing wall. And he says what Christ did is he abolished, destroyed that dividing wall. He broke it down. He crushed it. He destroyed it. He wiped it out. Now the actual wall, as Paul is writing, is still in place. It, would, it was about to be destroyed by the Romans in 10 years from this particular time. But Paul says it doesn't matter if it's there because in Christ the wall is gone. When Christ died on the cross and the veil of the temple was torn and access was opened up for the Jews to come to God without having to go through all the ceremonial laws, the way was opened up for Gentiles as well. Now think about our isolation. Remember, and how now we have access to God. Do you realize how incredible that is? What Jesus has done for us. He is our peace. He div- broke down what divided us from God's people. And he says, even Paul here describes, it was contained in the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. What did God do? He said, you know, the law that made the Jews, made Israel unique because they followed all these laws, ceremonial laws. He's not talking so much about the moral law, but the ceremonial laws. He said, Jesus did away with those. We don't have to keep the feasts. We don't have to do sacrifices. We don't have to keep certain feast days and etc. We don't have to do all that to have access to God because that was a barrier between Jews and Gentiles. He says, I've taken that away. Now you have free access because I want to create something brand new, he says. One new man. 
one new humanity, a new in Christ person, so that you're no longer primarily a Jew or a Gentile or an Irish person or Somali or primarily what you are now when you give your life to Christ is an in Christ person. You're in Christ. That is your primary identity. You see, God doesn't have a separate plan. And I want you to hear this very clearly because there's theologies that would say differently. God doesn't have a separate plan for Jews and Gentiles. What Paul is saying here is there is one new man who's been created. One new man. God is reaching out in Christ to Jews and Gentiles to be part of this new man, this new humanity, these new people that he has created. A new humanity in Christ where all the dividing walls are knocked down, the walls of resentment and anger and prejudice and hatred, so that there's no division by gender, by religious background. God wants to break down the walls in families, in societies, in homes, everywhere. How does he do this? Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Verse 18, through, through him we have, both have access in one spirit to the Father. How do we become one? He reconciled us to God. You see, and if you're reconciled to him, then you are one Humanity, You are a new creation. You are a new community that God has created that's more important than any other community you might be part of. Many of us belong to different groups, social groups, right? You might belong to Rotary Club or you might be part even of a growth group. You might be part of whatever. My son is in college. He's part of a fraternity. They create a community, a brotherhood, where they do a lot of activities together and they have certain rituals and traditions they go through, and it creates this sense of community. But think about all those kinds of community, even as a citizen of the United States or whatever. All those communities are external, right? It's all something you belong to outside of yourself. But in Christ, see, when you put your faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you, then you became one with every other believer. Not externally, but internally. We became part of the body of Christ. That created this brand new community that is deeper than any other possible community you can imagine. The Spirit dwells in us, and so I am one with you, and that makes me closer to you than even my own family, except my family's believers too now, so we are deeply one as well. This kind of oneness is, as I say, it's deeper than your family oneness. When I was a kid, growing up, there were four Kramer boys, and we loved to hang out with the seven Raleigh boys. We could form just about any kind of team you wanted between the 11 of us, and we played together all the time. 
and it was great. But the one thing that was difficult about this is that the Raleigh's often fought each other. And they'd be fighting each other, and they'd be, you know, getting on each other. And so I found out pretty quickly that it wasn't very smart to take sides. Because I would jump in and say, yeah, you know, Mike's right or whatever. And I would jump in and, and then they would both turn on me. I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm trying to help here and I'm defending you and now you're turning on me. See, blood's thicker than water, right? As they say. But what we need to understand and begin to get a grasp of and what Paul's trying to help us understand is blood may be thicker than water, but the spirit is far thicker than blood. The Spirit goes far deeper. And your oneness with the people sitting right next to you and around you goes far deeper than any other relationship that could be apart from Christ. I've experienced this kind of oneness with, I mean, I've traveled around the world. I've gone to a lot of places. I've met people on planes. I've met people, I still have a friendship. I've mentioned before with Rafiq Bati, who's a Pakistani pastor. When I met him, he could basically speak no English when I met him 30 years ago. We still write regularly after 30 years, and we had the sweetest fellowship together. Sitting on a plane by a little woman who I found out was a Catholic professor who loved Jesus. We had the sweetest fellowship. I've had the sweetest fellowship with people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of cultures, because there was a oneness in Christ that bonded us together even when we couldn't speak the same language. Why? Because God has created a new humanity, a new man, an in Christ person, that everyone who puts their faith in Christ becomes one of them. All of a sudden, skin color doesn't matter, background doesn't matter, all those things don't matter. What matters is that we know and worship Jesus himself. So what is this new community? How should we think about ourselves? If God did all that, how should we think about ourselves? What, how should we view ourselves? He goes on to tell us in verse 19 and following, he gives us three illustrations, three illustrations to show us ways we can view ourselves in this new way. First of all, he says, we should view ourselves as privileged citizens of the kingdom of God. Privileged citizens of the kingdom of God. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer foreigners to God and to all his promises, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now again, we don't always understand the depth of this because we live in our particular culture. If you're, if you're a citizen of America, you probably got this that way by being born here. But think about what it's like for someone who's not born here and wants to become a citizen. The things they have to go through and they long to be included, to have the rights of citizenship. In the Roman Empire, as Paul's writing from a prison in Rome, you see, citizenship in the Roman Empire was possible for only about a quarter of the people, about one-fourth of the people. All the rest were freedmen or slaves. Only citizens had the right to vote, to hold office, to public trial, 
to a proper defense, all those things. The rest did not even have access to any of those things. Most people didn't. And so Paul says, see yourself as a privileged citizen. You've got all the rights now that only the Jews used to have. And now you've been included. You are part of the kingdom of God. And we all have one king that we follow. And we're all part of the kingdom. So see yourself as a privileged citizen of this new kingdom. Then he uses another illustration. He said, and you are of God's household. God's family. See yourself as brothers and sisters in a family. That's why Paul often uses that, brothers, sisters. He, he calls the saints, other believers, brothers and sisters. Because in our world, the family is typically the most intimate relationship we have on earth. Those, the family. And again, the family can be real messy or it can be pretty solid It's never perfect on earth, but it's generally the most intimate relationships we have. And he says, look, you are now part of God's family. You've been included in. Now we all have one father who loves us, who provides for us, who cares for us, who disciplines us, who walks with us, who takes care of us. And we're all brothers and sisters in this family. So see yourself as part of this family. And the body of Christ then becomes the place where there's greater intimacy than even your human family. That's how it's meant to be. Then he uses a third illustration that we are to see ourselves as a growing temple. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. It says something very interesting here. He says, this temple, this building, what, it, what is the temple for? What did the temple represent to the people of Paul's day, the Jews of Paul's day especially? It was the place where God dwelt on earth. And he says, we are that place where God dwells on earth. We are the temple. But he says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Some difference of opinion of what he's talking about here when he talks about the prophets. Is it New Testament prophets or is it the Old Testament prophets? Personally, I think he's describing the Old Testament prophets because in this whole context, he's saying, look, we are built together on what? God's revelation in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what Jews and Gentiles have now been combined into this new humanity and we all look to the same truth that God has revealed in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the cornerstone, it says, is Jesus. Cornerstone in those days, they would lay the cornerstone and then every other stone that was part of that building had to be properly oriented to the cornerstone and built upon that. Jesus is the cornerstone. All of us relate to him in the proper way, and that allows us to have proper relationships together. But he says something interesting about this temple. He says it's a growing temple. Now, buildings are kind of solid, right? But he says it's growing. People are being added. And it grows as our relationships with one another get stronger. 
He'll expand on that even more in chapter 4. As he talks about the importance of our relationships with one another, how we are learning to love each other and care for one another and live out our destiny as the people of God. Learning to care for each other. Love one another. That's why in the New Testament there are over 30 one another commands. Why is that? Because it's so important in how we relate to one another, how we learn to love one another. As Jesus said, they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. God has created a whole new humanity. But what's most important is how we relate to one another as we live out that humanity so that God can be seen in us. We are the dwelling place of God. He can be seen by the way we love one another. I don't know if you've been to the Redwoods of Central California coast near Eureka. They are incredible. I love going there. I've been there several times. They're massive trees, the biggest growing thing on earth. They go up to 350 feet high, some of them. Huge, huge trees. Something very interesting about their, their root structure. Their root structure typically only goes five feet into the ground. They have no major tap root like a lot of trees that goes down and hold it, holds it in place. And their roots are usually only about an inch in diameter, but they go out five feet underground or so, up to 250 feet. The way they don't get blown over with such a shallow root structure is that they grow in groves and their roots intertwine with the roots of other trees. And as they hold on to one another, when the winds and the storms come on the California coast, those redwoods stand up to whatever comes their way. Why? Because they are woven together by their root structure. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Let me say that there is no such thing as an isolated Christian. Someone who says, oh, it's just me and God. We do our own thing. I have to question, where is God in this? Now, I understand we can have a relationship with God apart from other people, but God redeemed us for relationship with him and relationship with one another. And therefore, God's call to us is to learn to weave our lives together with others, learn to be vulnerable and open, learn to share our lives, learn to love and be loved, care for one another in the body of Christ so that he might dwell in us. I love that last verse. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We're God's nation. We're God's family. We're God's temple. He's broke down, broken down the dividing walls between Jew and Gentile and all other dividing walls between race and gender, etc. so that we might live as the people of God and he might be visible in us. That day when I was in Scotland in Easter and I was so alone, finally thought, you know, I'm going to just ask somebody on the street, it's Easter morning, hey, is there a church I can go to? And they said, oh, you have to go to St. George's. Okay, I'll go to St. George's. He told me where it was. I went to St. George's. I walked in the door and people welcomed me with open arms, made me feel part of the family, 
after the service, took me home, fed me a meal, gave me a tour of the entire city. I was with family that day. We are family, folks. All of us, together. So, I challenge us, all of us, myself included, think about how are we investing in our family, the family of God. Investing in relationships, learning to share our lives, learning to love, learning to be loved, learning to give our lives away for the family that God has placed us into, adopted us into, that we might love one another as we love him and he might be visible to the world in the way we love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that too often we're selfish. We confess that we don't love each other well, we want things our way, and we withdraw out of fear of being hurt. We don't invest in your family, the family of God, the body of Christ, this temple, this kingdom that you've made us part of. We thank you for this truth that reminds us we have been made part of the family of God. May we learn to love one another as you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.